0: Right, right, let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified. And you're listening to a brand new episode of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And every single week, I'm joined here by my crack broadcast team to take a walk back down memory lane and to relive some of the finer moments of the WWF's New Generation With a little bit of a twist uh, this week, a little bit of a modern twist. One of the first things I said on the inaugural show of New Generation Declassified is the wrestling gods sometimes look out for you and basically drop something at your feet. And they did that this week as we are going to talk about the brand new Paul Bearer documentary that dropped on the WWE Network, obviously tying very heavily into our New Generation era We're going to talk about some of Paul Bearer's uh, best moments, but we're going to talk about this great documentary as well. Uh, So as we welcome in the team, first uh, from the great Garden State, Mr. CP, before he moves into his new digs, he's still in his old digs, and we're going to get ready to dig some graves. So how is everything going with you tonight, buddy?
2: Everything's going pretty well, Mr. Chadster. Definitely uh, digging the new digs. Looking forward to the new digs. Looking forward to talking about one of the most legendary managers in the history of the WWF and the history of wrestling in general.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) I was waiting for it. I didn't want to say it. I was waiting. uh, (laughs) I was waiting for it, but uh, then we got joining us. Of course, the man with the, uh, the golden mouse. He's got Paul Bearer up on the screen as we speak, that very sheepish look of uh, Paul Bearer. Uh, Mr. Timmy W feeling good. I'm sure. Uh, in his neighborhood, and ready to roll this evening.
1: It's uh nice and cool down here for once for like two days in Florida, and uh, yeah, ready to dig some graves down here and roll with it.
0: So I said it the first week. I said that, you know, sometimes we'll find something that just kind of stumbles into our world. Uh, And this one, I I didn't really know about until the weekend, but I guess it had been promoted a little bit more. Um, And this is to me why they made the WWE Network. It was for things like this. And it's called The Mortician, The Story of Paul Bearer. It is a, a wonderful documentary that the WWE Network put together. Uh, to me, kind of spotlighting somebody that doesn't get the credit he deserves in terms of the grand conversation of not just pro wrestling or not just the Undertaker's career, but in the managerial realm. Uh, Paul Bearer, a, a huge mainstay in, in the wrestling business for so many years, not just as Paul Bearer but as Percy Pringle. Uh, a, a, a just a absolutely amazing talent. In uh, in world class, you know, you think about him with Rick Rude, You think about him with, uh, you know, even the early days of the Undertaker, uh, Texas the Red.
1: Yeah. What's that? And even the Warrior too. Yeah, the Bingo. Dingo
0: Warrior. Yeah, absolutely. So he's uh, he's covered a lot of ground, but obviously we'll we'll focus on the mid '90s where you know he was involved in a lot of stuff. He obviously would have a kind of cl- uh, bigger uh, tail end of the new generation era than maybe uh, the earlier first couple of you know months to year. Um, but nonetheless, great documentary. And again, this is why the WWE network is what it is because they can create some amazing, um, uh, documentaries like this. So guys, I mean, we'll just, a general question will be, what'd you think about this documentary? And, uh, you know, did you enjoy it as much as I did?
2: I thought it was a very entertaining documentary. I mean, it's, it sort of seems like it's a long time coming. I mean, you talked about, you know, the legendary career that, uh, Paul Bearer has had, uh, Percy Pringle, Paul Moody, whatever you want to say. Uh, he's been around forever, basically, and his association with WWE, WWF, is probably just as long as uh, most managers, if not any that I can think of. I mean, he went through so many kind of variations of the same character uh, within that time period, too. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was very interesting, and it, it, I almost think it could have been done. You know, it's sad that it wasn't done years ago to, when you think about how long he was associated with this company.
0: Yeah, and as a footage junkie, you know, Tim, this had a lot of rare footage in it. It had behind-the-scenes footage. It had stuff that maybe we saw, but, you know, with some little uh, little added extras in. So, again, this is why the WWE Network is what it is. It gives us these little Easter eggs that, you know, the footage junkies and the tape uh, trading dwellers have always wanted to see.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was enjoying watching this, and I was going back, and I have a whole, you know, Percy Pringer folder or and like compilations of all his early stuff from you know before WWE, the you know the even the Gulf Coast, I have some old footage of that that was awesome to see. And yeah, getting that you know of course it's a man. He's got all this stuff too, so it's cool to see him throw some of that uh non WWF stuff in there and and see some of the old school stuff.
0: I mean, he's basically there from about 1991, really tail end of '90, but 1991 mm-hmm. till about mm, 2001. Then he comes back around 2004 and then he's pretty much, you know, in the system from about 2004 to, you know, around the time he passed away. But would end up doing indies and, and do appearances for other promotions along the way And that in between from about 01 to 04, he actually did some stints in TNA. Um, so he, he did make his way out of the WWE world, but was such a mainstay for so long. And as funny as it is to be paired with the undertaker, who we've said is the constant in the new generation. He goes from being paired with the undertaker to literally being paired with the top heels by the time the new generation is really kind of coming to a close. And, you know, we talked about SummerSlam 96. We talked about the turn and going with mankind, but he's paired with mankind. He's paired with Vader, You know, he's really kind of, and then obviously, you know, Kane, but that, that falls a little bit outside of our window. Um, It's just an amazing kind of run that those four years play in the career of Paul Bearer.
1: We did a great job covering that too. in that in in, in the uh, biography here, the the specific years of what happened at the end there and why he's, you know, had to get rid of kind of, they had to distance themselves apart. Undertaker was getting to the run at the end of, you know, his current run had to progress. It was, yeah, you know, they covered the new era, new generation pretty well.
2: Yeah, it was it was very interesting to hear um, Mick Foley talk about how antrical Kane was. I mean, uh, Paul Bearer was to his WWF run. I mean, you don't you don't think of him necessarily as being tied directly with Mankind, even though he did, you know, have that run as his manager that was kind of went on for a while. And even when you mentioned Kane being outside of New Generation, you do you know it sounded like Kane and. And Paul Bearer were sort of tight, though. Even back to as far as when he was okay. Isaac Yankem, and uh, Paul Bearer was sort of influential in getting him to that Kane position, or at least that's how it appeared from the documentary. Right.
0: That's that's exactly it. Because uh, Paul Bearer and Kane went down to work in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And uh, they were paired working with uh, with Glenn Jacobs at the time, who would later become Kane. And they basically went back to, you know, to Vince and was like, you need this guy. And they brought him in. And, yeah, he would become Isaac Yankum. And, you know, and talking to Glenn Jacobs and knowing some of the stories about, you know, his relationship with with Percy Pringle um, or Bill Moody or Paul Bear or whatever you want to call him, um, hugely impactful in his career of kind of taking him under his wing and looking out for him, because I think they saw. The uh, the potential in a guy the size of of Glenn Jacobs being how big he was how agile he was and how young he was at the time and uh, man they pegged it correctly that's for damn sure
2: yeah absolutely I mean that's you know it you could say it always he'll always be somewhat in the shadow of the Undertaker but it's one of the greatest careers ever in the history of the WWF there's not really argue any arguing that.
0: And not to, you know, look past they've got this amazing Kane and Undertaker documentary coming out that, you know, no doubt will be on my watch list uh, for my, you know, kind of like investment. That's really one of the only storylines like I actually still like I I enjoy to go back and watch because not that you miss something every time, but it just was so compelling the way you look back at it. And that literally so many
1: brothers of destruction things they've done. But, yeah, like everyone's got something new in it that you like got to watch it.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah exactly so uh we'll, you know we'll pretty much kind of go um you know we'll, we'll start at the beginning here with paul Bearwood. We'll look at, how about like um all right the documentary is great yeah great let's talk about paul bear paul bear character with the undertaker kind of you know they, they describe it in the documentary it was the perfect fit you know it was uh, the right time blah, blah 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 but when you get to 93 Okay. And you get to the Undertaker being, you know, basically paired with all these big monsters and these guys that were just absolute beasts. Paul Bearer ended up going from just being on the outside to kind of getting involved a little bit more. And you'd see him get, you know, knocked down. You'd see him get a little more physically involved. And it was a little different, but it kind of worked, you know, it kind of worked its way in because basically all those guys that Undertaker would be. You know, paired with, you know, got Giant Gonzalez or Kamala or, uh, you know, uh, Yokozuna. The, the, all these guys had managers. So Paul Bearer ended up having a bigger role because of all
2: this, you know,
0: managerial uh, uh, shenanigans going on, on the outside.
2: Yeah. Well, if you think about all when The Undertaker was fighting all these big freaks, you know, they Paul Bearer talks about in the documentary how he. The urn was his idea because he he just wanted to do something with his hands. But when you get to the point where the urn is introduced, which might be a little pre-attitude, or I, can't, or I mean pre-New Generation. I don't remember specifically, but when you're in those matches with the Giant Gonzalez and the Yokozuna, I mean, the urn is almost an integral part of the match. <laughs> I mean, Paul is on the outside, and he's literally, you know, when the Undertaker is hurt, he's holding the urn up, this creation that he came up with, and it's giving the Undertaker life within these matches. Uh, so, I mean... And yeah, when he gets knocked down and the urn somehow gets affected, it affects the Undertaker. I mean, he's when the Undertaker is more of this comic book character in this in this generation, especially early in the generation, it, it's directly it's directly correlated to what's going on with Paul Bear outside of the ring. It feels like
0: the urn, big deal, absolutely big deal. We'd see a couple variations of the urn throughout the uh, the the couple years of the new generation, but yeah, in the documentary they point out how exactly you know the the story was. He said he needed something in his hands. Percy Pringle had a cane. He got the urn. I want to say that was that was still 1991, so yeah, out of our timeline, but it became such a big deal. The Yoko Zuna feud being the one yeah. where you know the urn get gets knocked over and the green gas comes out. And that's the Undertaker's power being released. And uh, and Paul Bearer gets taken out. And Paul Bearer has to bring the coffin back. And the Undertaker ascends to the heavens. And then there's a new urn. It's a bigger urn. And then that gets taken away. And it gets melted into a chain. And it's worn around the neck of Kama. Only for then that urn to disappear. <laughs> and it become like a tea kettle. And there's a third variation of the urn. So the urn, huge part of the mystique, huge part of the, the, the package of Undertaker and Paul Bearer.
2: And it seemed like it was directly based on Paul Bearer in a way like he would hold the urn up to give the undertaker power and also like in the Yokozuna match when the you know the smoke came out of the urn cuz Paul Bearer was knocked down on the outside. He the urn and Paul Bearer were a liability at times. If the urn got hurt it was the only way to hurt the taker at that point. Now
0: do you like the Paul Bearer character as a baby face. Do you, do you like him on the outside smacking the ring, you know, channeling the creatures of the night? Do you like him kind of playing off of the crowd adulation where at the end of the day, he's playing a guy who's embalming people and, you know, being their last protector before uh, <laughs> their burial? You know, like, is that a babyface character to you?
2: I don't know if it's a classic babyface character. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it though, uh, especially when I was younger. I mean, I was I went from being scared to the Undertaker to actually loving the Undertaker, and a lot of that was due to Paul Bear. I mean, the promos. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about the Yokozuna match already uh, a little bit tonight, but I mean, the Vignats leading up to the Yokozuna match were all Paul Bear, and they were amazing. Uh, While well, Undertaker was building his double wide, double deep casket.
0: Those were so well done. I mean, like there's no two ways around it. I mean, you know, if you go back a little bit earlier and Paul Bearer had the um, uh, the funeral parlor, I think that those smoky coffin building vignettes or the, the just them in the background, you know, working in the shed. I think that you put any of those up against any funeral parlor segment. They never even needed to do that. All they had to do was put them in the spooky element. Yeah. And it became that much more impactful, which in the documentary, they show so much footage of those, um, you know, those things and even some outtakes and little funny moments. But um, yeah, those so great in retrospect when you look back at them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it, I mean, this documentary kind of shined a light for me on how integral Paul Bearer was in a lot of that, this time period that we're talking about, it's just, it's, he was the voice of the undertaker and he was his power. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, no, he absolutely was and you know, and in the power being driven from the urn, you know, the urn having those different variations. Did you, did you like one more than the other? I mean, do you go with the classic one that was there till Royal Rumble 94, the big one that had the light in it that they debuted at SummerSlam 94? I mean, that one was cool, had a different element to it, but I think you got to always kind of give the nod to the classic one. Um, yeah. And they kind of like, you know, they make it seem like that one never went away, but it was gone for like 12, 13
2: years. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely have to go with the old school classic urn if you want to talk urns. But I will say, um, you know, Undertaker versus Undertaker, SummerSlam 94, not exactly the, you know, not the most stellar match in the world. It's a little bit of a week weak of an angle on paper. And the main event had to go after Brett Owen, which is crazy. But that feud... Uh, I totally marked out. First of all, when Paul Bear opened that giant urn and the light came out, when I was a kid, I remember thinking that was like amazing. Um, and that feud was kind of carried by Paul Bear from the Undertaker side. I mean, that was an entire summer basically where there was no Undertaker. I mean, it was all Paul Bear versus and Ted DiBiase doing the entire angle buildup, and Leslie Nielsen. I don't want to forget Leslie Nielsen, but I mean, it's, it's just an amazing. Dude that he kind of carried or or partially carried as well as a manager, right?
0: Exactly, and, and isn't that kind of funny that in that time for period in the in summer '94 when he's by himself he looked like absolutely ridiculous, and you felt like oh my god he needed the Undertaker paired with him. But then when the Undertaker's gone and he's with Mankind or he's with Vader, like you you almost forget that he had the Undertaker because he. He turned more like animated when he was with those guys. He was an exaggerated version of an exaggerated version of a pallbearer. You know what I mean? Like it was this crazy personality that ended up coming out. That seemed like from the documentary, and you know, from things I have seen from shoot interviews and people that work with pallbearer. That that was almost more of him. That he was a goofy guy and that he was a goofball. And when he's mankind's uh, manager, he's dialing it up to like fifty. He was screeching and screaming and. It's just uh, it's just a magical, magical individual. And his uh, his work was just out of this world. But you can't when you go back to summer 94, it's weird to think that he did all that stuff alone because you think of him just being right by the side of the Undertaker during that era.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's it's you think of him being with Taker all the time, but that was just constant, you know, come out. Tell D, Ted, tell Ted, tell, tell Ted DiBiase, he has a fake Undertaker. That's not the real Undertaker. This, yeah, as I said, it, the whole thing was built around, you know, Paul Bear telling Ted DiBiase is a liar, which he was, which anyone with eyes could kind of see. But
0: yeah, you could. But I mean, you know, I didn't believe it. I thought it was the Undertaker <laughs> for a little while. So I mean, Jesus, how gullible <laughs> am I? I thought it was really him. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine why they were shooting him from certain angles or from behind. <laughs> So, um, you know, so, so naive, uh, the young chest. Well,
1: well you, at, you, le- at, you least <laughs> at least they made it obvious
0: that far.
2: At least they made it obvious and put the real undertaker in purple for the actual match. So,
0: so what do you think about more with undertaker bear? Do you associate the purple with him? Do you associate the gray with Paul bearer? Like where, when you think of those two as a pairing, what's the first image that comes to your head?
2: Um, interesting i it's first image i i just got a weird image when you said that and i don't know that it's really the, should be the true first image um but i was at survivor series 96 and i recall watching paul bear in a shark cage uh, above the <laughs> ring and that was not uh that was the undertaker with like that tear i think he had a teardrop then yeah. and he was in he was wearing kind of more like leathery stuff he was away from yeah. the uh, gray and purple at that point. Uh but that yeah, that that was for some reason the first image in my head because I was in that Madison Square Garden skybox looking at the weird cage and Paul Bear kind of freaking out in it uh every couple of minutes, especially when they did like the when they would show on the big screen the camera from inside the cage. But,
0: yeah, and that's exactly what I was saying. You know, more animated. You know, you don't picture The Paul Bearer in 1991 screeching and screaming, you know, and and being stuck in an angle with the ultimate warrior. You don't uh, (laughs) kind of picture that. I mean, even when um, if you one of the my favorite I I ripped the funeral parlor like it was a piece of shit a few minutes ago. But my favorite (laughs) funeral parlor segment is with Jake the Snake when uh, he locks the Undertaker's fingers inside of the casket. Yeah. And Paul Barrett takes a DDT and gets knocked the hell out. And and I think that that's probably uh, the pinnacle for that little uh, talking head segment. Um, but this 96 one that you saw in the cage, I mean, he's screaming, he's screeching, he's trying to get out of the cage, he's, he's calling down to mankind, they're trying to reach him. I mean, just it's, it's such a, a difference. That it almost feels like it was a different guy because it it, but that seems like that was the real guy who was acting the way he was in 96.
2: Yeah, I mean, prior to that with, uh, you know, face Undertaker, a lot of his stick was more the weird faces like just kind of be trying to be creepy versus like, yeah, the over the top animated Paul Bear that went with uh, mankind, as you were saying before. So it's definitely a totally different guy.
0: Man, if this was only the Federation era podcast, I mean, I'd be talking about this uh, funeral parlor segment probably I, for 55 <laughs> minutes.
2: Uh, I, would, I would be also comparing it to my my favorite funeral parlor, which is clo- It's this one I like just as much probably. But I do like the Hulk Hogan one as well with the kind of rip off of the Andre the Giant angle where Undertaker rips the cross off of him
0: yep you timmy you missed the 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 ddt on paul Barry. You gotta go back a couple <laughs> of minutes here we're, we're seeing the undertaker walk. i mean the imagery of the undertaker walking with the casket is out of this world now a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more it's before he locks it okay that okay so leave it just leave it here this is where i mean i could almost do this whole thing verbatim <laughs> whose side are you on man <laughs> not yours I like, what's the Undertaker doing with his yeah. hand in the casket? Is this what makes you tick? Is this what you need? <laughs> Here it is, big man. Come and get it. And he drops it in the casket. Undertaker reaches his hand in the casket. And then watch this. Just like a, the quickness of a cat, Jake the Snake. Come on. There it is. <laughs> Wham! Look at that. Oh, look at that. And Undertaker's a zombie, so he's half dead. So <laughs> he, he's not reacting to it outside of that. It just temporarily well,
2: he, did uh, drop, he did drop the urn
0: here it is here it is ready watch it and this is a beautiful ddt I mean, wham right down to the DDT. ground. The, the absolute the drop of doom in those old school ddt's the way they do them now is not the same impact it is like these rolling you know like flippy do uh it's
1: like just another suplex now
0: yeah exactly that is the yeah. drop of death i mean go ask rookie steamboat how he felt uh, on the outside of Saturday night's main event. But um, yeah, this is one of those things where he, this was rare to see him get involved to this level, but in our era, in the new generation era, he's mixing it up left and right. Now, one of the vignettes that I thought was very funny and I just don't remember when it's from, uh, I'm assuming it was during when the undertaker was missing. It was, Oh, no, it was actually, it was WrestleMania 11. That's what it was, because Nick Turturro, uh, from NYPD Blue was in the <laughs> vignette. And they're in an interrogation room, and it's Nick Taturo, Mr. Fuji, and Paul Bearer dressed up as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying to find out the whereabouts of Yokozuna, who had been on a basically, uh, you know, little sabbatical uh, in early 95. And it's midway through the actual, like, uh, promo, the lights go out, and then the switch of who's dressed as a woman, it goes from Paul Vera to Mr. Fuji. It's so ridiculous that <laughs> it's worth the viewing if anybody can go find it. It is so out there, and it is so goofy, but they keep asking Paul Vera. They go, um, why are you dressed like a woman? And he's like, I'm not. It's like, well, Who, who's dressed like a woman? They're like, you are. It's so ridiculous. It's uh, It's very good. Do you have any recollection of this one?
2: I, I do actually, as you're saying it, it took me a minute to remember when you, but it I kicked into my brain when you said they switched uh, Yeah, between Bear. And, you know what,
0: Timmy? Go to YouTube. I, I believe it's on YouTube type in uh, just type in the Paul Barrett documentary. I think it'll come up that way. Cause that's how I had reimagined. Uh, reimagined. I kind of thought of it as well, but I couldn't remember it uh, directly. And then I saw it and I was like, what the hell, how did I block this one out of my damn uh, memory? But um, just, you know, again, th- this is why the WWE network is what it is. It has these, these just gems that are just dying to be made. And uh, th- this really ranks up there with one of the best things. There it is right there on the top. I mean, oh, there's Duke the Dumpster. He's he's in our right for sure.
1: a <laughs> new, new generation. That's fine.
0: But yeah, so they're in a detective room, the NYPD. It's Nick taturo who's not even being billed as his NYPD character, he's being billed as Nick taturo and sporting the amazing 90s stash there. Um, <laughs> but the the reveal is that Mr. Fuji's standing there in his full attire, and Paul Bear is dressed like a woman <laughs> in full Paul Bear <laughs> face makeup and everything. But he's just saying, I'm not dressed like a woman. Who's dressed like a woman? (laughs) And he's got the sneer. He's got everything going on. And Mr. Fuji's like, what the hell is he talking about? And there (laughs) go the lights. And when the lights come back on, (laughs) I mean, look at that. First of all, first thing that comes to mind is this ain't getting made in 2020. Okay? No way, no how. Um, (laughs) Never going to make this.
2: (laughs) I'm going to say it right now. Fuji's more attractive.
0: Well, that's, you know. (laughs) I don't think we need to go any further than that. Um, but let's... All right, how about this? Let's look at... Now that I have to drastically change the topic, because I'm disturbed.
1: certain... has that 900 number of voice. Come on.
0: He does. He absolutely does. Now, let's look at this. All right, so you have WrestleManias, 9. He wasn't at 10. 11, 12, and 13, I think, just falls out of our jurisdiction. See, WrestleMania 9, you got Giant Gonzalez. WrestleMania 11, you got Bundy. WrestleMania 12, You got diesel. What do you think is, uh, the marquee, uh, WrestleMania match for, for this duo at this point
2: for this generation? Um, I guess it's diesel. I mean, he got a win over a former champion. It was the first time he wasn't facing kind of like a weird oddity. Um, I think that's what I'd go with. Uh, yeah, I mean he didn't really have Marquee WrestleMania matches before this. So it's kind of a he was always in a tough spot at that show. Um, taker.
0: I'm gonna go with nine. Uh only because of the entrance and yeah. how it was outdoors and they brought him in on the cart with the crow and uh it, they kind of showed you his powers for the first time because he got taken out by the uh, you know, mysterious uh you know uh substance i don't think they called it uh ether by name but uh the mysterious substance and then had to be revived and brought back so that to me you missed it you just clicked off of it i'm, I'm literally talking but you just kicked that click the hell off of it come on um that was the first time i think we got to see the power of the undertaker and i believe paul Bear either helps revive him or summons something for him to be revived and uh this i feel like is the marquee wrestlemania moment for this this duo in this time frame because then by wrestlemania 13 like i said it falls out of our jurisdiction he's with vader and mankind taking on the bulldog
2: and owen yeah no i don't i don't disagree with you i mean this is uh, this probably does stick out in my mind actually more than anything i said about diesel i was just thinking about the um you know the fact that uh just the level of competition that Diesel was versus Giant Gonzalez, but absolutely, yeah. the uh, the chloroform or the the substance, whatever they call it, uh, was definitely a memorable moments. And yeah, yeah, Paul Bear helped him, uh, definitely helped him get revived in the end when he was backstage.
0: But with Diesel though, I mean, I, I would if it wasn't for the entrance and the and the supernatural ending, I'd yeah. give the nod to Diesel too. Only because it's the semi, you know, it's co main event, you know, it was such a big deal. It was basically Diesel's last hurrah. And, uh, you know, that that was, um, I mean, it's on the cover of the, the poster, you know, or the, the the tape or DVD, or whatever the hell you want to call it now. Um, but what would you say there, let's just single out Paul Bearer. What's his marquee moment of this new generation era?
2: His marquee moments. If you're, honestly, I think if you're singling out Paul Bearer, I'm thinking more just him and the Undertaker. I mean, you could say his marquee moment is the is the turn on Undertaker, possibly. Even though I know we've talked about that a little, and it's not our f- most favorite executed turn of all time. I think I would actually say the Undertaker's return at Summerslam, though, which I mentioned okay. earlier. Um, I think just the fact that he was so integral in the build up to that, and then you didn't know if the Undertaker was really coming out. I mean, obviously you assumed he did. He was it was the main event? And then he's holding up the huge urn, shining the light all over the arena. I I think, yeah, I think I would go with that. I'm torn, though. There's a few things in my mind. But, yeah, I think that's what I would go.
0: Where are you at with it, Tim? What what, what do you think is the the standout Paul Bearer moment?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know. You got me on the spot with this one because there's no specific moment. It's just I remember as a kid fearing the guy um even in the new generation there it was like you, you couldn't think of the undertaker and fear the undertaker without paul bear's voice behind him and those, par- those funeral parlor moments were definitely the ones that i remember the most even more than the matches or the mania moments those funeral parlor moments that you know it was like a piper's pit They stick in your mind forever
0: yeah so you so you're going to go even outside of the uh, you know our timeline and just go even back a little bit further. Um I I would agree with you on SummerSlam ninety four, but I gotta go with the SummerSlam ninety six only because even though we don't think it was greatly executed, it was just kind of like it was so shocking the fact that they broke them up and, you know, for mankind of all people, it's like you're leaving the Undertaker to go to Mankind, who we didn't know much about still at that point, and Mankind would have a huge you know, match in September, which I guess you know, you kind of say if it wasn't for the association with Paul Bearer, maybe that title match doesn't have that kind of cachet because it's like, oh well, you know, now that he's got Paul Bearer, now he's in you know the championship contests. I, I I think it it turned the the, the the page of the character, but I mean, I I just I love like what Tim was saying, the 91-92 Paul Bearer. You didn't hear much, but he he was impactful. I don't need to see him pointing at his head and telling me how smart he is. He's a dead guy. You know what I mean? He's uh he he's got a white face and a screechy voice. I don't need to tell him, you know, he's smarter than me.
2: <laughs> it's just can I, can I make one weird criticism of this documentary a little off subject? Absolutely. Did you notice in the documentary that they made it look like the Undertaker got a clean win over Hulk Hogan?
0: Yes um yeah they well they they always recreate history like, <laughs> I
2: know, it was just it just cracks me up the way i was like where's the chair that's not the tombstone that beat him but
0: yeah i never understood why they did stuff like that <laughs> i mean they they all but that's wwe bro no, I, mean, I agree. Agree. see like and that's where you can put it over and say like wow they do a great job and they do stupid shit like that because they want the fans to remember what they want the fans to remember yeah they, yeah, yeah. they want it you know they want it their way and, and that's that's what stinks and um you know see look i mean they show the one angle and then they he's they show him giving him the tombstone in the middle of the ring and then the pin is on the other side of the uh, the the, <laughs> the other corner you know side <laughs> of the of the mat um but you know i mean this in itself i mean Would i you like just... the old
1: 80s perm undertaker too
0: Oh, yeah. Come on. You got to love that 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 red hair. But this is that I just remember that moment being such a shock in 91 and yeah. just like it just absolutely um,
1: came out of nowhere.
0: Just never expecting that, thinking that this is just another notch in the Hulkster's belt. Never. expect, And it just changes your whole perception of The Undertaker yeah. uh,
2: as a whole. Undertaker got that clean win. And then, as I mentioned on a prior podcast, Hulk Hogan had to cheat to beat him on Tuesday in Texas using a chair and stuff. And the powder from the urn
0: goes around, comes around my friend. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you, whatever about The
1: guy who says those prayers and his vitamins. He wouldn't do that
0: <laughs> now. I uh, just, uh, and, and about Paul bearer, you know, obviously that, you know, the weight gain and, and the issues he'd have from health, he gets really big. Yeah. Um, even you can even see in the new generation era, you go from 93 all the way to 97. I mean, you just see the the difference in how he, um, how he grew and they, they detail some of the stuff and they show you, you know, some correspondence. Um, it's it just, it's kind of sad for anybody who battles that kind of issue. I mean, he got really, really big <laughs> and <laughs> it was, it was uncomfortable to see some stuff. Um, and then, you know, he had weight loss surgery and it didn't really stick. I know his wife passed away and that kind of led to more issues for him. Um, but you know, what could have been obviously, uh, you can't look back and question it, but, uh, it's just a shame to see Now he, he just got really, really big at one point and, uh, not, not good.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's always, it's a tough thing for a lot of people. Um, and it's, yeah, it sucks. It's not good. Um, we we saw Paul Bear. You know, he was always, he's one of those guys that was always kind of big. And then, but then you see the level to which it just got out of control at certain points in his life, including, as you funny. said. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Ted.
1: No, no. I was just going to say, it's just funny that era you had a couple like that, like him and Cornette. That just like something about that era blew people up.
0: Well, wow, I mean, th- you- there were tra- their travel right, schedule was insane. The travel schedule oh, yeah. had them traveling yeah. every day, you know, on the road for 45, 50 days at a time and, you know, not being able to to catch that break. So what do you do? You're at, you're out of the arenas at, uh, you know, 11 o'clock. Yeah, where do you go? I mean, yeah. hello, yeah. Jim Cornette and the Dairy Queen incident. You know, like <laughs> there's not many places when you're in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, Ohio. Uh, after a show that you can go to you know outside of uh, fast food joints so some people know how to control it some people just kind of go all in
2: well within that new generation I mean no I was just gonna say Yokozuna went from like the most agile big man ever in like the 400s probably to you know he just let it go to being like a 700 pounder that couldn't move basically it's kind of crazy
0: yeah no absolutely 100% Tim were you gonna say something
1: no, I, I don't even remember his past
0: topic. That's why he's the best color man in the business, folks. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, I mean, outside of, you know, the best moments in the documentary, I mean, there's really not much else to have to touch on with it. I just suggest if you're a fan of this era, it'll help you fill in some gaps. And, again, on this show, we don't do anything to tell you we're experts. We don't do anything to tell you that we know this more than you. We're just giving you the synopsis as fans during the era and, and sharing with you kind of our take uh, looking back at it and, and relating it to what we thought at the time. And, you know, as somebody who didn't really look twice at Paul Bearer until I started to get more into the business and, you know, learn about what he did for guys backstage and kind of learn about his history and how passionate he was about the industry. I just love the fact he was honored in this way. Um, you know, now, and I know, actually, I believe one of his sons has has passed away as well, but I hope the family can kind of, take this and, and use it as somewhat of a legacy because it's such a great look into uh, a career of a guy that doesn't get all the credit he deserves. And, you know, look, in this era, the managers are still kind of there. You know, you had Sonny, you had Cornette, you had Mr. Fuji, you had Paul Bearer, you had the million dollar man, you know, you had guys still on the outside. And I would say he was probably the standout on the baby face uh, side of things. So um, all credit to uh, Percy Pringle, Bill Moody, uh, Paul Bearer, whatever you want to call him. Uh, so fans, listeners, whoever, go check this out. The uh, the Mortician, the story of Paul Bearer on the WWE Network. Huge endorsement from the Chadster here, uh, without a doubt. So guys, well, yeah, we'll wrap it up here for this week. Uh, of course, New Generation Declassified. We'll figure out what's going to go on on the next edition of it. And uh, see what we got there. But if you want to follow me on any of the social medias, it's at Chad e If you want to uh, check out my website, it's IBExclusives.com. There you'll see all of my signings I have coming up, including uh, one announced this will coming this week with a uh, certain WWE Hall of Famer and uh, Olympic gold medalist for those uh, who might read between the lines and uh you know all the cool podcasts we have on teamptempire.com empire.com just continue to support us and uh and check that shit out so cp uh you're moving into a new house you're upgrading the podcast studio you're hanging up all the boxing memorabilia that you're going to be buying from me and you are going to be raring to go so what else uh you got going on in your world
2: now same uh, same old same old i got stick and move stories season one 12 episodes where we cover historic boxing matches you can find that on spotify or anchor uh I am actually working on a little podcast area upgrade, and there will be a season two of that at some point. You can find me on Twitter at at Pugs, P-U-G-Z-Z-Z, P-U-G-Z-Z-Z. And I would like to just echo what you just said a little bit about the Paul Bearer documentary. I mean, it's absolutely a hidden gem. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in there. I think for even some of the more intense fans, there's things that you may not have seen um, things that you may not have known. And when it really kind of puts into focus how legendary of a guy and a manager uh, Paul Bear was one of the, one of the longest standing managers in the history of the WWE, or I would say, and in the history of wrestling in general, probably. Um, And it's also just quite, I know we're kind of done, we're wrapping this up, but it's just amazing that Paul Bear was also so associated with the Undertaker for such a long period of time. I can't think of another manager who was directly with, associated with one guy for so long. I know he went in and out of, you know, he he got heel turned with whomever um, and he left WWE while Undertaker was biker guy, but he always came back to that Paul Bear character and always came back to the Undertaker. Eventually it's just, it's one of the most miraculous careers ever. And I also highly recommend the documentary if you haven't seen it yet.
0: Maybe uh Paul Bear, uh, uh, Paul Ellering with the uh, road warriors.
2: Yeah, no, that that's accurate as well.
0: Or uh, I mean, or you could even say Miss Elizabeth with Macho Man up until, you know, what ninety. I mean, they had a good five years or so. Um, but yeah, great, great assessment for sure. Um,
1: don't you miss those good old days of managers?
0: I do, but they wouldn't be done in the same vein. So I'm glad that we can enjoy that in the past because I don't think that uh, I don't think anybody could really pull it off. And I mean, you can name Rando you Know, name I've probably never heard of, it's just not going to have the impact. Don't 25 forget Francine in
1: the franchise, come on, man.
0: Uh, you know, different era, I, even though the 96 97, it's I think different era because uh, you look, if, if even if you cross, we, we haven't really done that and look across the uh the street at other promotions. Francine, the franchise, even though they come to come around in mid 90s uh, t- tail end of 96, it's summer 96. They don't really hit their stride, in my opinion, till '97. So that's to me when the business is turning and it's a whole new product. So I wouldn't put them into this uh, to this grouping, so to speak. But in the managerial group, absolutely, yeah, nobody could do uh, yeah. obviously what she did.
1: I was just looking I, at the general spectrum of longevity and management, and you know,
2: I, there's a promotion that I will not name on the podcast, but they've they've made an effort to rein, reinvigorate managers. I will say.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, by using guys that were relevant 25 30 years ago. Like, they do a like great a
1: great job. Taz is Without pretty a doubt. awesome, man.
0: But yeah, dude, Taz is God. Taz is great. Taz is fantastic, <laughs> Brother. All right, Tim, what do you got uh, going on before we wrap up?
1: Uh visit me on Twitter, Vas on. Actually, there's an 8 at the end. I've been forgetting to put out there, but if you <laughs> somebody out there doesn't have the network and would like, you know, to check out old um, Percy stuff from before WWF or even during rare matches. Hit me up, I can uh, hook you guys up and uh, you know check out some old rare footage and matches that I spend my days pretty much doing every day. Um, oh, and CP, I also want to hope that when you uh, get your digs going, um, you're gonna add the Razor Ramon foam razor and the Undertaker urn to the podcast room. Absolutely. Podcast. All right. If I could and
0: also, hey, and also subscribe to uh, Francine's Patreon to see Tim come on yeah. for uh, a good 25 uh, minutes and uh, rap with myself and the Queen of Extreme. So uh,
1: <laughs> Shameless plug.
0: Cheap plug for that. Alright, well, we'll say goodbye for this week. We'll catch you next week on New Generation Declassified for the Crack Broadcast team. This is your old buddy, the Chadster, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.